Good morning, Bethel. I, uh, I am so grateful for this chance we have to look into God's Word. And, and I just have to say on a personal note to each one of you who, um, in so many different ways in this last you know, week here or so, have just reached out to show your care, your love, your support, your encouragement um, around my ordination last week. Thank you. Thank you so much. It is truly, like, it's a joy to get to serve here and be a part of this church family. And, uh, and so, so grateful for each one of you in this, this privilege. This morning, we come to um, our last Sunday in this first half of the book of Joshua. Starting next week, we're going to be focusing um, our attention in and marching in the journey towards Easter and the, the hope that we have that we get to celebrate as we consider Christ who came, who lived, who died, and who rose again. So really looking forward to that. And then Lord willing, as we come out of Easter from the end of April through till June, we'll be finishing up this wonderful book that we have been in here in the second half of Joshua. I think today it would be fitting to remember the, the journey the people of God have been on that have brought us up to this point to, to sort of recap and remind us to set the table for today's message. I've given the, the title for today's sermon, uh, When God Moves, There is Nothing to Fear. When God moves, there is nothing to fear. Forty years earlier from where we have been in for these last couple of months in the book of Joshua, God miraculously brought his people out of slavery in Egypt. He did these 10 incredible, mind-blowing miracles, these plagues that, that let the, the Egyptians send the people off. They, they crossed the Red Sea on dry ground. They were led through the wilderness by a pillar of fire each at night, each and every night, and a cloud, a pillar of cloud each and every day. The very presence of God walking with them step by step leading them towards this promised land. And as they approach the entrance of the promised land, you'll remember, we've talked about this on a couple different occasions, Moses the leader gathered together 12 men, one from each tribe, to go in and spy out the land in advance of the people going there. And these 12 men went in, they spied out the land, they returned, and 10 of them came back with the most heartbreaking and heart-wrenching of responses. They said, yeah, the, the, land is, the land is no doubt, it's amazing. The land is beautiful. It is flowing with milk and honey, and, and it's an incredible land that would be so good for our families. It would be amazing to get to live there. But the problem is, these spies said, there's, there's no way we can take the land. There's no way we can do it. I mean, we went in there and we saw the people who were there. We saw their cities and the fortified walls that they've got that are gigantic. We saw them walking around and, and they're like giants, man. They're so big. It's like we are like teeny tiny grasshoppers compared to them. They're just going to squash. There's no hope that we can take this land. There's, there's no hope that we could make our way into this place. And they were totally frozen. In fear. They, that report from 10 of the 12 spies permeated throughout the hearts of all the people, and everybody bought in to the fear. Everybody was overcome with the fear. Everybody was frozen in fear. No matter all that God had done, 
to bring them up to this point, no matter what they had seen and heard, their eyes went away from the Lord and just become totally fixed and frozen in fear. And everyone, every last one of them, except for the two spies who didn't buy into that lie, lost out on all that God had for them. Their fear froze them so much they ended up dying in the wilderness. That entire generation passed away and missed out. And today in our text that we come to here as we finish off this first half of this book, we come face to face with the fear of God's people. We come face to face with the, the, the fear that froze their parents to death, that led to an entire generation dying. We come face to face with that fear. So grab your Bibles out. Turn with me to Joshua chapter 10, verse 16. Last week, you'll recall, I guess it was two weeks ago, actually, that we had this incredible text we looked at, this most awe-inspiring, God-moving battle between Joshua and his soldiers and, and these Amorite hordes, right? And, and God fought for his people. Do you remember that? He stopped the sun in the sky and he rained down, heat-seeking, laser-guided hail missiles, um, hailstones, Today in verse 16, we actually pick up on that same battle. If you look through actually the entire section of chapter 10, what you see here is is verses 1 to 10 of chapter 10 tell the story. And then verses 11 to 15, which we looked at two weeks ago as well, circle back and and tell it again. And then actually verses 16 to 27, where we're going to be today, are still in that same scene, but they circle back another time and tell it again. You kind of think of it like... Um, three different newspapers coming to report on the same event. Uh, They're they're telling the same story, but they have different emphases at different points. Or this was a Hebrew technique for how they told stories. Remember back, for example, Genesis chapter 1 and 2. You read Genesis 1, you read Genesis 2. It's not that there was two different creations that happened. It was one time where God created the heavens and the earth, but, but Genesis 1 tells it from one angle, and then, and then God leads the writing of it a second time, and Genesis 2 tells the same story with a different emphasis. That's what we're finding here today. Verse 16 begins, Now the five kings had fled and hidden in the cave at Mecca. The five kings, you might recall, are the five kings that were mentioned back in chapter 9, verse 1. It says this, Now when all the kings west of the Jordan heard about these things, those in the hill country, in the western foothills, along the eastern coast of the great sea, as far as Lebanon, the king of the Hittites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and Jebusites, they came together to make war against Joshua and Israel. These these five kings rally together, literally that that phrase in the original language, in the original Hebrew, it, it means they came together as one group with one mouth, ready to devour, sharpening their teeth, preparing to devour the Israelites who are trying to come in and take their land. Except... Things didn't go 
as those five kings had planned. God stepped in. God fought for his people. And these five kings flee into this cave at this city of Mecca. Verse 17, when Joshua was told that the five kings had been found hiding in the cave at Mecca, he said, roll large stones up to the mouth of the cave and post some men there to guard it. Joshua gets word that they're hiding in this place and he sends his soldiers. He says, go and place a bunch of big rocks in front of it so that they can't get away. You notice there that it says they rolled them in front of the mouth of the cave. See, I think, I think here at this moment, the Holy Spirit is inspiring a little fun with some words. Because the same Hebrew word that we see here in verse 17 is the same Hebrew words that were used back in chapter 9, verse 2. Those, those mighty, strong, Amorite kings were convinced they were going to devour with one mouth all of God's people, except they got utterly decimated. And now they are hiding in the one mouth of the cave, terrified and shaking. Joshua here says, trap them. Make sure they can't get away, but don't stay there. Verse 19, but don't stop. Pursue your enemies, attack them from the rear, and don't let them reach the cities, for the Lord your God has given them into your hand. He sends the majority of his fighting men out after the rest of these fleeing Amorites. They keep chasing with the sword. They're they're running down the road. The sun is still holding still in the sky. Hailstones are coming down and taking out their enemies. All that is going on here. And so Joshua and the Israelites, verse 20, destroyed them completely, almost to a man. But the few who were left reached their fortified cities. The soldiers do exactly as Joshua says. Joshua did exactly as the Lord said, and the Lord fought for his people and gave this incredible victory, this mind-blowing, awe-inspiring, magnificent, marvelous miracle victory that God did. The whole army then returned safely to Joshua and the camp at Mecca, and no one uttered a word against the Israelites. It, It says there, the whole army they, they return safely. Do you, do you catch what that means? Do you catch what's going on here? You, you got to picture, remember, the Israelites went toe-to-toe in battle. This is like ancient sword-fighting battle against these Amorites. And, and you would think even if God were to give them an incredible victory, surely when you've got like, you know, man-on-man combat with like swords and spears, there's going to be quite a lot of bloodshed, right? Even if you've got victory, you're still going to have a fair share of casualties. But look at what God says here. The whole army returned safely to Joshua. It it sure seems to be saying that it was like there wasn't even a single Israelite life that was lost in this victory. God so profoundly fought for his people that not a single, the entire army returned safely to Joshua. The sun here, still frozen in the sky, 
The hailstones have now stopped. The entire host of God's people come and they assemble around the mouth of the cave. And a few of the strong guys start to peel back the rocks. Joshua says, open the mouth of the cave and bring those five kings out to me. So they brought the five kings out of the cave and the kings of Jerusalem, of Hebron, of Jarmuth, of Lashish, and of Eglon. The the stones are rolled back. The kings are dragged out. Around the mouth of this cave entrance is now a semicircle of surrounding tens of thousands of Israelite soldiers. And those five kings are dragged and dropped in the dirt in front of Joshua and all the surrounding armies. Friends, we cannot miss the significance of this moment here. These five men were the chief leaders of the people that ruled this land. Do do you remember, do you you remember back even how we started today's message, the the story of Moses and the spies? And do you remember, let me read for you the account of those 10 spies when they came back from this land. Listen, listen to these words. They said, we went into the land to which you sent us and it does flow with milk and honey. Here it's fruits. They actually took some fruit with them. But the people who live there are powerful. Their cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. Continues in Numbers chapter 13, verse 32. The the land we explored devours those living in. All the people we saw there are of great size. We saw the Nephilim there, the descendants of Anak, who um, come from the Nephilim. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we looked the same to them. The, the, The giants who made them seem like grasshoppers. These five kings are the kings who rule the people who that right there in Numbers 13 is talking about. And remember, ancient kings, how do you get to be an ancient king of one of these areas? Well, these are, there's a people of a whole bunch of really big, giant, strong people. And who's the ruler of them? Who's the king? Well, the biggest, strongest, mightiest one of all the people. You rule with an iron fist and and you get to the top because you are the top dog and you stay there only if you are the top dog, which in in other words means, here's what this means, friends. The very biggest, strongest, and greatest of the people that were the gigantic fear for an entire generation that led their mothers and fathers to be frozen in fear and not willing to come into the land. The leaders of all of those people are now right here lying on the ground in front of them. They right now face to face are looking at their greatest fear. They're they're looking at the ones who terrified them. They're looking at the ones who held their parents back and led to their parents' demise. 
They are face to face in this moment with the most massive, giant fears you could imagine for them. I have to wonder, I have to think, in our day, in our age, in your life and in my life, what are those kings for us? What are those kings where where God is, is leading and calling and drawing us to step out in faith, but then when we come to this thing, this person, this obstacle, this situation, it just feels too big, too much, too strong, too mighty. The walls are too high. I just can't get through it. There's no way I can go there. And we end up frozen in fear. What are the kings in our lives, brothers, sisters? Friends, what are the kings in your life that just seem too much? I can't go there, God. I can't follow you. I I know, I know, but it's just too big. A few months ago, I came across um, an article in local news from London about uh, a situation that had been happening in in our very community here where because they had run out of, they didn't have enough folks to serve as foster parents, the, the local children's aid um, society was having to actually put teenagers who were in the foster system into motels living on their own. These are underage minors who have nowhere safe to go, and, and there was nowhere for them to go to the point where our own local agencies were having to put them into motels to stay on their own. And I just think, really? There's not not enough of God's people willing to step up and to take the challenge to say, we could open our homes. We could open our homes and welcome in a child who needs a safe home and needs a a loving, safe spot. And and, and make no mistake, I, I get it. Is it an easy thing to become a foster parent? <laughs> no. Is it, is, it, is it an easy and convenient thing without its obstacles to think about bringing a teenager into your home? No. Might it mean having to radically change a whole bunch of stuff in your home, in your family, in, in how life lives? Yeah, it, it might. But is God too big to look after that? If the Lord is stirring upon your heart and and showing us these sort of needs right here in our own very community, oh no, but I can't do that, God. That would be too much. That would be too difficult. That would be too inconvenient. That would be just too big of a mountain, too big of a giant. Oh, I would just get crushed by that. You've been hearing us start to talk more and more And you'll hear lots more of it in the coming months here about our Southwest church plant. And and we're praying about how we can reach out into first this this surrounding community around us that that has folks that desperately need Jesus. And and I wonder, and I'll, I'll tell you, I've been actively, earnestly praying that the Lord might begin to stir some from our midst right here who call Bethel Strathroy home to say, you know what, I'm going to step out in faith and and join to be a part of this work in bringing a church into the Southwest Middlesex community. 
But maybe you begin to hear that and you're like, yeah, well, that, that sounds really nice, but, but you know, that would, be, that would mean I'd have to drive like 20, 25 minutes. I don't live in Southwest Middlesex. And that's just, that'd be too far for me to drive. Well, what if the Lord's calling you to step out in faith, friends, to be a part of something like this? Well, well I, really, I really like the, the church building we've got. I really like the big band that we get to listen to. It leads us in worship. I really love the, the, the strong dynamic, lots of people helping with the kids ministry and all the different things. And, and it's like, but yeah, what if, what if the Lord's calling you to something difficult? to sacrifice, to take a step of faith and to say, you know what? I want to be a part of bringing the gospel to a community that desperately needs it. This seems really big, but oh Lord, help me. I wonder if there's some family or families within our midst who might sense the Lord calling you so much that you might actually even move into, sell your house and move your family into Southwest Middlesex to become a part of this core group and to reach out into your own very neighbors as you move into that area to help us plant this church. Well, well, that would be too big, Helen. That would be too much. That's too massive. I can't do that. It's just too scary. Let's turn back to verse 24. When they had brought these kings to Joshua, lay them on the ground there before him, he summoned all the men of Israel and said to the army commanders who had come with him, come here and put your feet on the necks of these kings. So they came forward and placed their feet on the necks of these kings. Now, now the giants... The terrorizers are, are lying with their face in the dirt. And these commanders, each one of them, come over. They place their boot on the neck of these kings who had terrified and frozen them in fear, pinning them to the ground. And, and Joshua's like, look down. Look down at your foot. Look down at the one who, who terrified your parents, your mothers and your fathers, your uncles and your aunts. Look down at the one who seemed like they were far too big and far too strong and far too mighty. Look under your foot, my friends, and see what God has done for you here. Look at the victory, what you thought was impossible, what your parents were frozen in fear from. Look at what the Lord has done now under your feet. Look down. And Joshua said to them, do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Be strong. Be courageous, brothers and sisters. This is what the Lord will do to all of your enemies you are going to fight. Those are the ones who have terrified you. These are the giants that were so insurmountable. But look at what God has done. Look at what the Lord has won. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Be strong and courageous. Brothers, sisters, friends, these are the Canaanite kings. And here, Joshua has his men standing with their foot on their throats, looking down in victory at all that God has done. Victory over, victory over their greatest fears. 
Their biggest obstacles look at what God has done. Don't you see what God can do if you trust him? Don't you see that nothing is too big, too much for the Lord if you walk with him? And then I want you to see what happens next. This is so profound. Verse 26. Then Joshua struck and killed the kings and hung them on five trees. And they were left hanging on the trees until evening. At sunset, Joshua gave the order and they took them down from the trees and threw them into the cave where they had been hiding. At the mouth of the cave, they placed large rocks, which are there to this day. Joshua here, he kills all five kings. He hangs them each on a tree. Why were they hung on a tree? Deuteronomy 21. Anyone who is hung on a tree is under God's curse. These kings had committed the most vile and heinous of crimes. And here God crushed his people's fear. He judged the wicked sin. And he has set his people free as these kings were killed. Their victory was declared as the enemy kings hung on a tree. The people of God's victory was declared as the enemy kings hung on a tree. And we see in verse 27, you see how it started out there? And the sun sets. All of this happens in one day. Finally, now at this moment, God releases his finger from the sun. He stops the planets and the solar system from their cosmic pause. And he releases and he brings an end to this day. This grand marvelous day of salvation for his people. The day where he fought for his people, the day where he gave victory, the day where he showed there is nothing too big to be afraid of. Their victory was declared as the enemy kings hung on those trees until sunset and then Joshua brought them down. Friends, many years later, God brought about an even greater victory. God came to secure an even greater victory for us. He came to crush an even greater enemy. He came to overcome even greater fears, not just for a generation at one place in one time, but for all generations with people from every nation, people, tribe, and tongue. And do you know what? It involved an execution of a king. It involved the most vile and heinous of sins being dealt with and being judged. It too involved a king being hung on a tree, but with a twist. The king I'm referring to, he was not the one who committed the crimes. He had lived a perfect life and he was innocent. He was punished for crimes he did not commit. He was crushed for evil he had never perpetrated. He was not an earthly king. He was an innocent, heavenly king. Come to set not just one nation at one time in one place free, but people from every nation, tribe, and tongue free from everywhere for all of eternity. 
Listen to what Galatians 3 verse 13 says. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. For Joshua, their victory was declared and secured when these enemy kings hung on a tree. For us today, our victory is declared and secured as the innocent King Jesus hung on a tree. King Jesus went to the cross cursed to give us freedom. King Jesus went to the grave covered with rocks over top of his grave. But guess what? Unlike those kings, those five kings, who the rocks stayed there covering their grave until this day, the grave couldn't keep our king. No, three days later, the the stones were rolled away. Three days later, bursting forth in life, Jesus overcame death to give us victory, to set us free, to show us, look down, look at your boot and look, if you are in Christ Jesus, look who is under your foot. Those giants that you feel like are going to crush you, those giants that you feel like you cannot possibly overcome, there's no way you could get through it. The Lord is leading you into this, but I just, I can't do it, I can't do it. There's no way, it's too big, it's too much. Look down, dear friends, because our King, our innocent, heavenly King has declared victory when he hung on the cross, when he hung on a tree. This victory story is for you and I today, friends. This victory story is for you and I and leads us to that spot just like those Israelites. When God is working, there is nothing to fear. There is nothing to fear. Those giants that seem so giant, we need not fear. Those obstacles that seem too much, we need not hold back. So for you, friends, today? Is there somebody who you just know you need to talk to them about Jesus? You need, you need to share how he's made an impact in your life and tell them about the good news of the gospel, but you've just been so overcome with fear. What are they going to say? What are they going to think? How are they going to respond? Look down, friend. You don't need to fear. Fear has been crushed. Is there a stand, friend, that you need to take. And, and, and the consequences, it, it might cost you a lot. I, I, is it a relationship that you're in that you just know I should not be in this place, in this relationship? I need to, is there something going on at work? It's like, I need to stand up. I know I need to stand up for my convictions. I know I need to honor Jesus. I'm being pushed and pushed into places that are just not, that are, that are just not honoring to Jesus. And it's like, it's, it, it could cost you. It could cost you a job. It could cost you a relationship. It could cost you a friend. It could cost you, I don't know. And it feels like there's no way I can do it. It's just too big. It's just too much. Look down. Your fears have been crushed, brother, sister, friend. Victory has been won. Is there there a sin that is hidden, that's hiding off in the shadows? And and it's just like, I I can't bring it out because what are people going to, what would they say? 
What will they think of me if, if I get found out and you're trying with everything in you, but it's eating you up inside, but it's like you need to, and it's, it's like, I just, but I can't, I can't, I can't bring it out. I can't step out. I can't let it out of the, I got to keep up my reputation. I've got to keep up the facade. I've got to keep faking it. What's going to happen? Look down, friends. Jesus came to give you victory. Is there, is there a sin maybe that you have not committed, but you know about? that's been committed against you, that's hidden in the darkness and is just eating you up from the inside out and you know it needs to be brought out into the light, but, but I just don't know if I can. What will people say about me? Will they believe me? No, I can't trust anyone. I just can't do it. Look down, brother, sister. Those giants have been crushed by your king who hung on the tree. Listen today, dear friends, to this amazing declaration from God's word. Romans chapter 8. If God is for us, who can be against us? Oh, amen. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Hear this, dear friends. Hear this, brothers and sisters from your homes. Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or the sword? No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither less life nor death nor angels nor demons neither present nor future nor any powers neither height nor depth nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord dear brother dear sister today today the giants have been crushed look down and see When God moves, there's nothing to fear.